Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're recording this fittingly on the Remembrance Day weekend. Hmm. And we're discussing John Curtin. Not planned, but incredibly poetic. However, one of us here was known for taking the Anzacs a little bit lightly. Oh, what? In your junior, in their junior <laughs> school days, the harsh call. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I believe he exchanged the the solemn nature of Anzac Day Remembrance Day for a bit of bit of social capital. Jeez, you really. Welcome to the pod, And with that intro, yeah, wow. Um, it's quite an accusation you're making here, Cam. Mm. I've only heard bits and pieces. It's PY who's told this story before, <laughs> but I believe PY is, in terms of the biggest villains of these, this story, I believe PY is actually the biggest villain in the story because... I disagree. Because Ben had a sense of shame about it and Ben would be like, no, no, no. Whereas PY acted like his promoter, just kind of, Ben, do the raw, do the raw. <laughs> Why? I didn't ask him to do it in the first place. <laughs> uh, basically, like, we'd have to, we would have to remember the Ode to the Fallen mm. to memorize it. And I think maybe as a, as a fun way of trying to memorize it, Ben kind of would say it in a bit of a, an olden style voice, an old lady kind of voice. And, <laughs> I heard him do it, and I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It is pretty good. Now. <laughs> if you want to... But I say com- comedy is the, like, total subversion of expectations. No one expects an old lady to do... <laughs> so what am I doing? I'm, I'm walking around. In a funny like, voice. And so, then... So how old are we at this point? 11, 12. Okay. And... Yeah, so that once I hear it, I just want to hear it again. <laughs> it's like a drug. So, yeah, like you say, do the rock. And may, maybe I got told other people, like, oh, you got to hear Ben do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could do it justice. If it was like, ooh, to the fallen. <laughs> Age shall not weary yeah. them, nor the years condemn. As far as I understand, as far as you've told the story to me, mm-hmm. 
you would like go to just different people in the playground and be like, oh boys, you, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. My <laughs> man's ready. You're and, setting me up for failure there. And Ben's like, no, 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 no. God, oh no, please, no. No, 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 it's bad. And I just, I, 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 would, I don't think I even comprehended that. I was just like, he's just saying, it's not like he was going to do that when we actually did it in front of the <laughs> audience. Um, yeah. Hmm. No, I do. I, I don't remember that. I do remember, um, like we would also, like some t- like sort of jokingly or like we'd make parodies in some respects of. Do you remember the song we'd sing? It was like one more parade, one on less digger by your side. side. Um, we would sort of like, mm-hmm. I think, treat that with a similar level of 11 year old triviality <laughs> like next year you ride i remember every year they would tell you that oh see they're riding because they're old they're not marching anymore so they have to ride in a car and it's like oh of course just like a really breakdown of the lyrics that we need to do <laughs> lyric genius <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't remember certainly- par- i don't remember any parodies to that song I remember, yeah, people walking and walking around and singing other things. Oh, and, I see now. Um, and yeah, so yeah, not a lot of just all around, not a, mm. not a great lot of reverence. Which, I think yep, it was uh, because of like, it was because of Digger, right? Right. That was one of them. Yeah. That's 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 horrific. That's really. in bad taste. <laughs> Part of me for that's being the like taste. the younger generation's lost guy here. I felt our year <laughs> had a pretty good understanding of. Like, all right, yeah, like, you know, go break dance in the infants areas where as soon as it hits April 25th, like, you're... Yeah, oh, yeah. like, I, no, I think... I don't think it was, like... Just a select it, few. I think, yeah, there was a select few individuals and not in, in not in the moments that matter. Like, yeah. in, the, in the assembly and in... You're not... If you're pissing around then, that's... Yeah, that's not on. But I think, 100%. yeah, and you'd get a couple of bad eggs that would come out afterwards and... Mm. Yeah. And kind of... Yeah. It's a solemn occasion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A guy did fart in a moment of silence. <laughs> group. Yeah, well, that's... So, like, like, I can't... That's, that's that's just the plot of Thunderpants, really. Yeah, that's <laughs> not, and that's not lacking reverence. That's just a, that's just an accident. I like to think so. <laughs> I, I hope I, you I, think I'm so. I'm sure I, I won't... If, on the, the patrons will probably have a good guess as to what I'm talking about based off of... It's not Josh, just to put that out there. Yeah, okay. But based off of people who get frequent mentions on the Patreon special, Yeah. this was one of the care fenders. Yeah, I do. I do want to come in and defend my honor here by saying that. Um, so yesterday, which was Remembrance Day, can I shock you? I was actually out at the Malabar Rifle Range. Oh. Um, I was I was doing like uh, just with like a couple of couple of other guys. We went in and did some rifle shooting there, and we did have a minute silence. And it was because it's a bit like it's like a former sort of. It was almost like a barracks, and like I think it was a barracks at some point. Mm. Now it's just a shooting range. So um, if perhaps. You know, I was a bit irreverent at the time at 11 years old. I promise you I'm now not. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, yeah, at high, like it always fell 11-11 uh, would be recess time. Yeah. At Willaware, and the playground, black stop. And there'd always be one kid who kept like chasing after the handball. <laughs> after it. And the school really like would stand up at that time. It's like, oi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a real. It's a show, real. Show some respect. It's a real sudden shifting of the rules of just regular society, mm. where like, yeah, you, there's always gonna be one kid that gets caught out not following the cues of the mm. situation. Mm. Yeah, I like a sports game. People still finding their way to their seats. 
yeah. walking into a minute silence, carrying like five large chips, a couple soft drinks, like trying to control their kids. Usually, I feel like that's a pretty common experience. In English football, mm. usually there's one at least one round where like mm. you, in one team in the minute silence has F the other team during yeah. the minute silence. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Um, there's a great video of that happening at like a, a Wrexham game. And then, what does that guy say? It's the guy who's like wearing the army helmet. Uh, I, haven't, oh, I haven't seen the clip. Damn it. You yeah. have to cut, maybe cut that because I, I need to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty grim. The, the thing is with Remembrance Day is that like some view it as quite a political day as well of like people that are pretty staunchly anti-military in a sense of people who yeah you basically view whatever so say say you live in the uk and you have oh you're an irish player playing in the uk and you do remembrance day which primarily involves british soldiers as well as other commonwealth soldiers as well Hmm. um that's like a signal of imperialism for you so that's why you have those irish players that like pretty staunchly protest remembrance day so there is the kind of political nature of it as well we're gonna go all the way back to world war ii though now, in Australia, we often wake up to, like, world-changing news because everything happens not in our mm. time zone. I think, I don't know, Warnie dying is probably the biggest one that I can remember waking up to. Yeah, that mm. was that was a bit of a shock. That, like, I feel like that was one that came up on the, on the Apple News notification as well. Yeah. That are usually just, like, that's a, that's a bit of a pain. I mean, that doesn't, I mean, it the notification doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an advertisement, really. Yeah. But it was like, mm. Shane Warne, dead at 57. Yeah. I don't know if that was the age he died. 52, I think it was. That time. But yeah. That was pretty shocking. It's always usually deaths, right? That Those are the ones that you, you wake up to that's like, oh, rocks you a bit, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Maybe sandpaper. Yeah, that actually. Was, that's actually probably, mm. that was a big one. That was huge. To wake up to. It's like cheating disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> That was a really intense weekend. Like, oh yeah, we needed to take a bit of a chill pill on that I one. Think- we just <laughs> <laughs> was that 2017? 2018. 2018. Yeah, I thought so. This is 2018. Like, I did not do any study that week. That was my HSC year. I was just like glued to Fox Sports News. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we should do an episode on sandpaper again. I've, <laughs> I've got thoughts. <laughs> yeah. On the 8th of December, 1941. John Curtin woke up to some pretty shocking news. Pearl Harbor. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, like, for Australia, we can often just silo ourselves when we wake up to that news because, really, it doesn't affect us directly. That's a big one for John Curtin because he's like, okay, this is is us effectively declaring war against another nation now because they're going to be... If they've taken Pearl Harbor, they're going to be coming right towards us. So what he does is a first for an Australian Prime Minister. He declares war. Now, you might be thinking, wait, we had World War One, we had the Boer War, we had, like, these mm. other wars that we can remember. Previously, we'd always declared war through the British government. This time, Curtin's okay. like, why do we need to do that? We declare war in Japan. And he... Look at us. Look at us go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it takes us, what, 41 years <laughs> to independently declare war on another nation. And so... On the 8th of December, we're at war with Japan. Now, just in the context of World War II, who are Japan's allies? Germany. And? Italy. Yes. Now, when America gets bombed by Japan, America only declares war on Japan. 
they don't actually declare war on Nazi Germany because the American public is really pro-isolation. Mm-hmm. Hitler makes a, a silly move that he didn't need to do. Supports Japan? By doing what? Does he declare war on the US? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. No need. Yeah. Okay. They didn't, they didn't declare war on Germany. Like, mm. literally, Hitler, there was no need for him to declare war mm. because he didn't care about Asia. He was like, that's Japan's yeah. issue. And he just, control, he just cared about Europe. So now he's brought American soldiers yeah. into Europe for no reason to fight against him. Yeah. Mm. Silly move. Silly move. Yeah. And like there's a bit of a, uh, like a, a trope. Is that the right word? Trope? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. A trope to Europeans and Americans like, oh, we waited for you to join the war. And then Mary's like, well, we saved you in the war. I feel like that's a Simpsons gag. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the kind of dynamics of like who helped who in the wars actually, mm. that actually becomes really important for Australia and America right at the end as well. Because mm. I actually disagree with the idea that, that America rescued Australia in World War II. Controversial opinion. What? Yeah. Cancel me now. <laughs> so basically, as soon as Pearl Harbor happens, Japan goes, this is our window. If you kind of think about it, like if you, if you kind of take away the context, Pearl Harbor seems like the stupidest decision ever. It's like you've got this country that wants to stay. Well, Roosevelt doesn't, but the American public wants to stay out of a war. And so in order to make sure he wins re-election, Roosevelt decides to stay out of the war. And But he's really looking for a way in. And so if you're Japan, you're like, why do you bring America into the war? Like you could have had them out of the war and just do your business in the Pacific and get away with it. Hmm. Japan's like, from Japan's point of view, Japan's like, there's no way America won't get involved at some point. America's got some big stakes in the Pacific. They want to strike the first blow. Yes. And what is America's, what might America's kind of stake in the Pacific be? What do they care about in the Pacific? Hawaii. I was going to say Hawaii. Yep. That's American territory. (laughs) And then you go further west, there's more. American Samoa. American Samoa (laughs) is good. That is one of them. (laughs) I, as... Do you just mean that, like, the South Pacific, like, is that... And us? Are we going well, all the way to actually, us? Well, I did want to discuss the American Samoa. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As Next Goal wins come out... It's coming out in a couple of weeks, I think. I think we need to do a lot of Patreon live screening. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll have to go to the to the cinema to <laughs> just Just bring in our road mics, mm. press record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't hey, can everyone about- be quiet, please? We're trying... <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about the Napoleon movie. That'll be much more historical, but... No, no. Yeah. I, I can frankly say, unless it's Brexit, I don't care about European history. <laughs> <laughs> Too many people. And you've t- always said that. <laughs> <laughs> Brexit means Brexit. How many times do I have to say it? Um, big stake in Pacific. What's? Can you think of the most American, like Asia Pacific nation? <laughs> but who I just said it. It's, it's American Samoa. <laughs> Technically, American Samoa is not a nation. Ah. Uh. Yeah. It's a FIFA nation, mm. but that's like Wales is a FIFA nation. It's not realistically an independent country. It's, would it be Australia? No. No. We it's, are. Uh, it's Singapore. No, close no. though. Very close. Thailand. Singapore's British. Uh, yeah. Thailand has also got a British her- yeah. heritage. Is it in that, yeah, you're, you're, that region? Yeah, keep thinking. Indonesia? No. Nah, that's Dutch. No, nah, British. Taiwan? No. New Guinea. Australian. What's the one? I think what house PY was in and turned it into a country. Yeah, Philippines. So the Philippines is this highly, <laughs> highly um, American country. Effectively, what happened was it was a Spanish colony, which the Americans kind of took off the Spanish. And it was 
something that the Americans really cared about in the Pacific. And so that's their that's their huge stake in the game. As soon as Japan does Pearl Harbor, they have got maybe about an eight or nine hour window to prepare for a Japanese invasion. The general who's in charge of the Pacific, his name is Douglas MacArthur. He's going to be very important in today's episode. Hmm. MacArthur does nothing. He just kind of sits on his heels when that eight or nine hours could have been crucial. And so what happens is the Japanese rock up in the Philippines and they do a pretty swift invasion. A lot of the Filipino soldiers actually just defect to the Japanese because they're like, basically it's a contest between two colonial overlords. Why would I die for one colonial overlord? I could just surrender to the new guys and live. Mm. And, and so fighting for my independence, why would I care? And so a lot of them defect. A lot of them actually welcome the Japanese because it's like, hey, it's, at least it's an Asian colonizer. Mm. At least they look like us um, mm. rather than this kind of really foreign overlord. And so what happens is the Japanese start encroaching on South Pacific territory very quickly. And you've probably seen, I imagine in your classroom, you saw he's coming south, that poster of the Japanese soldier with his big footsteps across the Pacific. Oh, maybe. It's a pretty pretty iconic wartime poster. Yeah. So that kind of fear in Australia is at an all-time high. For the first time ever in Australian history, at least federated Australian history, we're at risk of an invasion. And though we've got kind of a huge landmass, we don't have a huge population to police that landmass. And so Japan, in over the course of six months, Japan kind of rapidly advances south. So they take over Thailand, Burma, Malaya. We'll discuss Singapore a little bit more. And crucially, the Dutch East Indies, modern-day Indonesia. And so it's a really difficult situation for John Curtin, who's just kind of watching all these key territories fall to the Japanese as they're advancing rapidly. And this happens from Pearl Harbor to basically the first three or four months of 1942. So this is happening in less than half a year. And Admiral Yamamoto, the one who actually organized Pearl Harbor, he even said on record, we've got about six months to make as many gains as possible. And Japan knows that they can't actually beat America in a protracted war. So what they're hoping for is to kind of deliver a crucial hammer blow and get the Americans to force a negotiated settlement while they're ahead. Mm-hmm. And they have the belief that, you know, Americans are hedonists and they don't have the gumption to stick out a long war. We have a samurai culture. We'll be fine. That's kind of the overarching philosophy that's going on in Japan. And Japan were victims of racism, as we saw last week with the racial equality clause. But the, over the 30s, they actually become highly racist themselves. And they are complete, in complete belief that they're the superior Asian race. And that actually they're superior mm-hmm. to the Western nations because Western nations are kind of decadent hedonists. Whereas Japanese are honourable samurais. And that's kind mm. of the belief that's going on there. So, right after Pearl Harbor, again, we've got to remember back to last week, Menzies pleads with Churchill to properly defend Singapore. He's like, there's no way, like, if Japan comes after it, Japan could feasibly get it. Churchill's like, no, nah, no chance. They, they're Japanese, we're British, come on. Like, we, we've got this under control, it's impenetrable. What happens is one of the key ships that polices the strait between British Malaya and Singapore, it's a very tiny strait. So Singapore's an island, but there's a very small strait that kind of separates it from, from Malaya. Mm-hmm. One of the key ships that polices that strait, the Prince of Wales, is sunk. Oh, no. By the Japanese? Mm. By the Japanese. Yeah. Oh, no. And, so Curtin's like... By a submarine? I don't know, actually. I assume so. Mm. Yeah. 
And so Curtin at that point is freaking out. And he's like, we are, we're stuffed. Like, we cannot defend Singapore without the Prince of Wales. Like, Britain has completely neglected this island. Fair enough, they're so focused on Nazi Germany. But if they actually want to hold this island, they can't with the current resources they've given it. So Curtin, on the 27th of December, 1941, makes a pretty incredible speech. He says this, Without any inhibitions of any kind, I make it quite clear that Australia looks to America, free of any pangs as to our traditional links or kinship with the United Kingdom. Wow, it's like that friendship with Britain over meme I'm now friends with. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. Really, I like it. Just sever the ties, move on. Yeah. It's- <laughs> and it's no like, I love the fact that there's no like diplomatic gloss on it or anything yeah, like yeah. it. It's like, I, I loved my time with Britain, but I'm, <laughs> I'm now like- looking to develop in new ways and expand my horizons. So, Can you imagine if they had LinkedIn in the 40s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, on to the next chapter. <laughs> looking forward to many learning opportunities. <laughs> Yeah, so effectively we Brexited the UK (laughs) and we went straight to America. It's interesting because we often think of the Liberal Party being the really pro-US ones and Labor being a little bit more hesitant to be quite as pro-US, even though Albo's gone into AUKUS and all that sort of stuff. We often think of the Liberal Party being the ones who kind of fly the US flag higher than the Labor Party does. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a Labor Party Prime Minister who actually makes that pivot towards America. What's particularly surprising is John Curtin's background. So we actually had, all we, we've known so far is that he's become the Prime Minister because some independents have defected to Labor. Curtin's got a really interesting story. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he's a Victorian. What's more important, though, is that he eventually becomes a WA MP, representing okay. Fremantle. Oh, I was really hoping he'd... <laughs> Frio, the Dockers. <laughs> Represent Dirk Hartog Island. <laughs> but what's more interesting than that is John Curtin is on the left-wing faction of the Labor Party. So he's his biggest enemy in the Labor Party at that time. Any guesses, you would know who he is. Any guesses who was John Curtin's enemy within the Labor Party? In the 40s. And the 30s. In the 30s. Is it Lang? Yeah, Jack yeah. Lang. Oh, of course. Yeah. So... You got Jack Lang that represents the right wing of the Labor Party and eventually kind of separates to become Lang Labor. You've got John Curtin on the left wing. He actually was like an editor for socialist magazines. Um, Curtin, a uh, kind of atheist, he's not an ardent atheist. I don't think like Richard Dawkins um, <laughs> yeah. style. He kind of sees the value in religion for kind of being societal glue, but doesn't isn't religious himself. And so he's really, again, this kind of like, what would be considered a left-wing socialist at the time, he's the one who pivots towards America, which is crazy to think about because normally mm. you think of like, who's your most ardent pro-US guys? It's like your John Howards and that sort of thing. It's the like the people that everyone called a commie who actually ends up pivoting towards America with this, with this speech at the end of 1941. Mm. And again, it's really interesting to see that there's just absolutely no gloss on that whatsoever. Very matter-of-fact... Hmm. UK, thank you, but... <laughs> thank you, next. I choose you, USA. <laughs> um, he actually, the crazy thing about this, he didn't give Churchill a call or anything. So he didn't, like, candy in his, like... He didn't give his, like, resignation yeah, notice. Just or, ghosted. Or anything just, like that. 
He goes straight to the Australian people and he's like, you deserve to know first. <laughs> <laughs> What's Churchill's response? I'm hoping in how, how we... And again, you're entitled to whatever reaction you want. I'm hoping that our reaction by the end of these two podcasts is utter frustration with Churchill. Uh-huh. Which is your, not... Your anti-Churchill agenda. Just, just, just well, he's a complex episode. figure. Yeah, in is. Europe, great. Go Churchill. Mm. In Asia, boo. <laughs> So as, yeah, so as as soon as you cross the Dardanelles, that's so the Dardanelles is where we entered Gallipoli from. Yeah. Yep. And the Dardanelles separates Asian Turkey from European Turkey. So as soon as you cross the Dardanelles, Churchill stock plummets as you kind of <laughs> move further and further away. It's also important to know that the Allies had a huge arrogance about them as well. So in the same way the Japan the Japanese were incredibly arrogant about their perception of Westerners, we were also really arrogant about our perception of the Japanese. Um the only real big Asian victory that had been struck against Europeans was the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. The, apart from that, Europeans just had this complete perspective that, hey, the Japanese, they're Asians, they don't know what they're doing. We are Europeans, we, we developed mechanised warfare, we know what to do. Again, we have these kind of huge um, naval ships that are steam powered for at one point and are kind of backed with an industrial capacity rather than a sailing capacity. We're the ones that have invented this game of kind of modern mechanized naval warfare. We know what we're doing. They don't. They also believe this was at, this was a common anecdote told within uh, particularly American flight schools was that the tilted dies of Japanese people gave them worse depth perception, which made them inferior fighter pilots. And so it's, it's wild to think about, even just like a hundred years ago, this like these sort of like myths were being peddled in mm. military school. What was the theory? The the tilted eyes of Japanese people. Oh, I see. May gave them inferior depth perception, which made them worse okay. fighter pilots. Mm. And that was just commonly accepted, like no, like <laughs> not particularly challenged by anyone. Yeah. And so there is that would give some false confidence. Precisely. And, you know, in 1942, it's the Japanese pilots that are chalking up huge, huge Ws. And it's only after 1942 that we lose those good Japanese pilots and we start resorting, we start seeing the Japanese resort to kind of kamikazes because the fighter pilots aren't as effective. So rather than drop your bomb at the right height, at the right speed, just kind of crash your plane into a ship instead. Hmm. So all this is going on in... The end of 1941, beginning of 1942. We roll around to February of 1942, and very crucially, Singapore falls. So Menzies was right, Curtin was right, Churchill was wrong. And so Churchill does two things here. Number one, he's like, okay, my bad. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Let's make sure we defend Burma now. And the key for Churchill is Burma is the gateway through to India. If you kind of, I know we don't have a map in front of us, Think through. If you're going to travel from, like, effectively Vietnam to India, what direction are you traveling? Northwest. <laughs> yes. Nice, Jake. To Thanks. get to Australia, what direction do you have to travel from Vietnam? Southeast. Yes. So, defending India is not in our national interest at all. Mm. Curtin's like, dude, what the heck? <laughs> we told you this was going to fall. Now that it has fallen, you're like, hey, let's protect India. What about us? <laughs> what about us? Mm. And so Curtin's getting even more annoyed. Churchill then does something else. So Archibald Wavell, basically the British commander overseeing the, the British-controlled Pacific, 
he writes up a report on how Singapore fell. It's called the Wavell Report. It's then given to Churchill and Churchill discusses this. The central argument behind Singapore falling, like this is kind of Britain's report, the, the main finding they have as to why Singapore fell was that the Anzacs were cowards. Wow. Oh, that slimy bastard. That, is was, it? that was Churchill's reasoning. Yes. The reasoning On- that was presented to him by... By the Wizard of Wavell Place. <laughs> you know, man, 70, like going back to him like 70, 80 years ago, being like, man, in 80 years' time, there's going to be a mad diss on you. <laughs> Paul Keating piped up about this decades later. So Keating, so Keating is, is probably anti UK as we've ever had a Prime Minister be. So not only was he a Republican, he. Basically, so his wife didn't curtsy the Queen. And you know how you're not supposed to touch the Queen? It's probably Meghan Markle's fault somehow. You know? <laughs> she, she did this. <laughs> now, what does Piers Morgan have to think about this? Um, when we did the Keating episode, remember they called him the Lizard of Oz? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> Lizards of Waveling Place. <laughs> so, many, so many connections going on here. Um, Paul Keating, he is piping up about this uh, half a century later. And he's basically like, man, that Wavell report. Um, <laughs> the reason why the Wavell report, I think, is just utterly wrong, just it's just statistically. 73% of casualties were Australian. Australians were only 13% of the forces. Hmm. So our kind of soldiers to death ratio is way higher than Britain. So if you're going to level an accusation against us, the only accusation that you can level um, is that we died too easily. Is that relative to the amount of soldiers that were there. So yeah, we're only thirteen percent of the soldiers. Okay. And seventy three percent of the casualties. Of the Allied. Yeah, in the defence of Singapore. Yeah. That's hugely disproportionate. Mm. Mm. So theoretically we should okay. be making up thirteen percent of the casualties. I see. We make up seventy three percent. So the only accusation that you can level against Australians is and a lot of them died. Yeah, is that they is that they died. Which is which does not indicate cowardice whatsoever. Okay. In fact it actually indicates the opposite. Mm. So Churchill comes out and he blames Australia for the fall of Singapore. What a what a jerk. Yeah, what a bum. I like Singapore. Mm. It's a cool place. I've been once. I really wanted to go to... I, I still do want to go to the, the, the Formula One there, the Grand Prix. And we nearly went this year, Ben and I and Harry, but we didn't make it. And it was a shame because it was probably the best race of the this season, it was the it's the only race that a Red Bull hasn't won all year. What was Singapore like in back then in the in the forties? Well, British controlled, and mm. so a lot of Singapore, a lot of people from Singapore are pretty okay with the Japanese coming for the same reason that the Philippines yeah. are pretty accepting of the Japanese. Very quickly that changes, and in Singapore they're like, "Oh my goodness, this is so much worse than Britain. Let's get Britain to come back." Yeah, but. If you ask, I'd be curious if you just ask someone from Singapore, Australia or Britain, who messed it up. I wonder what they'd say. Mm. I think they'd. I don't think they'd have particular insight into it because, obviously, they just see foreign soldiers. But mm. it'd be. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. It was, it's, it's like it's always been one of the more developed parts of Asia. It has an interesting history, right? There's a big Chinese population. There. Yes. Was that even back then? Yeah, because that's Chinese migration. That you go back since, like, pretty much from the beginning of mm. um, written Asian history, they've been migrating. Mm. Like, there's a, a case to even be made that Chinese, 
that the Chinese were one of the first groups to have contact with Aboriginal Australians. Hmm. So, yeah, they've, they've been migrating from the beginning of time. So Singapore falls in 1942. Huge, huge loss for the Allies. Effectively, that kills Britain's resistance to Japan. And more or less at that point, Britain temporarily gives up the fight against Japan. It's like, okay, Singapore's gone. We've got to focus all our attention on the Nazis and worry about the Asian Empire later. Japan then does another, they do an aerial attack. Any guesses where they attack next? Darwin. Darwin. Darwin Nunez. Yes. Mm. 236 uh, deaths as Darwin was born. It's pretty heavy. What might be the... My grandfather was there. Really? Mm. In Darwin? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. What was he doing there? I'm not too sure on the details. I'll have to ask, but I'm pretty sure he served and that was Darwin as as far as as he went. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What would be the goal in attacking Darwin? Why Darwin? Well, it's in Australia. It's also, that's, it's the furthest north city, right? Or apart from Townsville. <laughs> <laughs> so why not go for Townsville? Well, Townsville. It's, closest, it's, it's the closest, it's very close to Papua New Guinea as well. I don't know if that's... And it's is. like open to water, right? And you couldn't get to Townsville without coming a long way in. There's another reason. What does Darwin have? Is that, that's the naval base? Yeah, it's a, it's a military base. Yeah. Mm. So you can basically cripple like a whole bunch of Australian planes and just get wiped out. And so it's a, it's more or less like our version of Pearl Harbor. It's on a smaller mm. scale because we're not America and we don't yeah. have the same naval capacity that they do. But that is an Australian Pearl Harbor. Am I am I wrong in thinking that there was a bomb bomb in Sydney as well? Ah, uh, there there were two subs that were in Sydney. Yeah, and that had to be chased out. Yeah, yeah. There were midget submarines that were in there hmm. in Sydney Harbor. In like Sydney Harbor. Wow. Yeah. So just imagine like going for a swim in the Parramatta River. Whoa! Yeah. That's <laughs> it's like my leg touched something. Oh my gosh! Get out! We gotta get out. <laughs> that's where like Harold Holt that's was. That's why there's um, well, there's still kind of structures from wartime around in Sydney that were used, I guess, for yeah patrolling, like in La Perouse and the, what's it called? the Garden Island or something? Possibly, um, yeah. They got the watchtowers. You're not Arthur Philip. Wow. <laughs> it would have been, it yeah. Like it, the, the war did come to Australia. In a much more limited form than compared to yeah. pretty much every other nation. But it, d- it did come it to Australian scary. soil. What John Curtin did was John Curtin, um, one of his ways of managing the home front was that there was heavy press censorship. The 236 figure wasn't actually publicised. So we didn't know the death toll because they didn't want to give the illusion that Japan had knocked up a huge victory against Australia. Yeah. yeah. If I'm Curtin, I'd do the opposite. I'm completely transparent Galvanize. about... Galvanise. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of look at like... The history, like Pearl Harbor, mm. galvanizes America, get them, gets them to support a war. Nine Eleven, same thing. It's it'd be pretty scary. Yeah, reading that. And the thing was, two hundred died. Even reading, like, oh my god, there was a submarine in the harbor last night. Mm. Yeah, and like fear of an invasion. It is hard to overstate yeah. just how much fear there is regarding a Japanese invasion. For about six months, Australia is really on edge. In fact, we actually start preparing for what to do. If invaded. The lockdowns? Curfews? Yeah, yeah, there were curfews. Mm. It was... The main one actually was like, okay, we're not expecting you not to surrender to Japan. If Japanese soldier rocks up, surrender. What you do is make sure you kind of get rid of any radio, um, any form of technology that you can have that can give any indicators. Make sure you've got no Australian newspapers handy and kind of stuff like that to basically, if you get captured, make sure you have as little information as possible to give the Japanese. 
Okay. They didn't, didn't ask you to take up arms. Yeah, okay. But yeah, that was that was kind of the expectation. Mm. Jack and they briefed them to just like what to say. Like if a Japanese soldier like seeks to invade your country, you just like say like stop. Yeah, is I like- don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> like is that? I think that, you're dobbed on. Yeah, yeah. I think that could always be effective. An effective measure. Stop <laughs> yeah. a bully. I think yeah, yeah. I just I just hope they were prepared. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's always do you tough. Think that that has ever worked. <laughs> Please stop. Like, oh, we need to do something about bullying. Let's give them a strategy to to combat the bullies. What should they say? Stop. I don't like. <laughs> stop. <laughs> bullies are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you didn't like it. <laughs> I will stop. <laughs> oh, this has been a huge misunderstanding. <laughs> I just feel so bad. <laughs> I'll, con- I'll endeavor to reflect on my uh, my wrongdoings and, and yeah. seem to be a better person. It's so uh, it's 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 so tough because like. Yeah, whatever. Att- are they still anti-bullying campaigns? Oh, massively. Yeah. And whatever, whatever. <laughs> you're just saying, like, are they still anti-bullying in schools? Have <laughs> <laughs> you just given up? Have you just accepted the bullying? Um, one of the tough things is anything that the teacher tries to do, it just gets memed straight away. Hmm. So, like, any sort of strategy of, like, okay, this is the language we're going to use if this happens, it just becomes a meme. Yeah. Oh, you're being a bystander. Oh, like, it just, like, <laughs> yeah, very easily. I remember our principal, Mr. Mort, was a big, big fiend for Dob stands for disobey bullies. No, oh, is it don't obey bullies or disobey? Yeah, oh, I, I, I disobeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's clean for Mister Morty. He's, he's, he's done the damn the syllables. Um, I thought yeah, Dob was I, a bad word. Say, <laughs> so, to come full circle, <laughs> we were on edge for a Japanese invasion. Very much so. John Curtin is really interesting. He's a very three-dimensional figure. One of the things that is often forgotten about, but I think is really important, I don't think we should forget about, was that he suffered with alcoholism and suffered with depression. And I'm always hesitant to use modern diagnoses for... So I wouldn't go... I wouldn't have any more specificity than depression. I wouldn't kind of try and label a specific type of depression that he had because those categories have only come into existence fairly recently and I'm hesitant to then retrospectively put a diagnosis on someone. That he had depressive episodes is very clear. And even in the... the like, we think that depression was not... Like, we think that society didn't believe in depression in the 30s and the 40s. That's not true either. And it was a huge awareness that depression existed. Hmm. There was, a, yeah, of course, there was more of a stigma around it. Um, people would call it the blues or anything like that. But there was a huge awareness that there was something which caused people to enter a state of intense melancholy and intense sadness that weren't related to circumstance. So there was an awareness of depression. Hmm. Curtin often spoke about alcoholism being a coping mechanism for his depression. And so throughout the 30s, well, 20s and 30s, he was a huge alcoholic and he would he'd freely admit that. He, yeah, was was very open at the fact that he hit the drink too hard. The, from 1935 onwards, he was much... He, like, he, he, he kind of really fought against that and it's made... Also, like, a World War One veteran, no? No. Yeah, not a World War One veteran. Oh, okay. The, he, was, the, he was the guy... You, were we were saying last week that that hung around with him, that reputation, or was that someone else? That was Menzies. Menzies, that's right. Yeah. John Curtin actually was briefly imprisoned for refusing a medical examination for considered for measuring his fitness to go fight in the war. He was also 
one of the other things really important about John Curtin, he was also one of the leaders of the No campaign for conscription in World War One. So mm. I want to do this as a separate episode because this is a huge, a really important part of Australian history. Mm. Billy Hughes, he's leader of the Labor Party during World War One for most of it. Andrew Fisher's there for the start. Um, but what happens to Fisher is that Britain doesn't even tell him about Gallipoli. So he finds out about Gallipoli the day after of Gallipoli mm. and he's the Prime Minister of Australia. Mm. He loses his effectiveness and he ain't, he's, he's also been in for quite a while and he's happy to retire. Billy Hughes comes in and is the leader of the Labor Party and he wants to introduce conscription for the Western Front. He, what he does is he actually puts a plebiscite to the Australian people and we vote no for conscription. He's then like, no, 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 no. Actual, actual, actual. Like, no, be serious. <laughs> sorry, let's do it again. We vote no again. And John Curtin was one of the biggest proponents of the no vote during that time. The really interesting part of all of this is that Billy Hughes, because he can't get his way and can't persuade, and he, like Curtin's a Labor Party guy, because he can't persuade the Labor Party around, he rage quits Labor and forms a new party. So he leaves the Labor Party, goes to the opposition and says, hey, you, me, why don't we form a new party called the Nationalist Party? So that's what effectively the Liberal Party, so Liberal and Labor, he leaves Labor, merges with Liberal to become the Nationalist Party. And he then is kind of the leader of the new Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. It's not called the Liberal Party, and he takes a couple of defectors with him. But imagine, like, Albo crossing the floor and Dutton standing aside for him to be the leader of the kind of new Liberal Party. Mm. That's kind of what's gone on during the wartime. Yeah. So... Curtin is actually one of the biggest opponents of conscription during that period. The really interesting thing is that come World War II, Curtin changes his mind. And Curtin actually is kind of in favour of conscription, but to nowhere near the same extent as the opposition. The other interesting thing is that when Menzies stood aside, have a guest who replaced him as leader of the UAP. Chifley. No, Chifley's a Labour guy. Does he go on to be PM later? No, but he has been Prime Minister. Oh, he already has been Prime Minister. Halt. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Hughes. Okay. Oh, the boy. So Billy Hughes is back as opposition leader. Oh, right. Yeah. This is, what, 25 years since he was Prime Minister. Yeah. And he's now back as opposition leader. That is huge. He actually hangs around. He hangs around. this last week, I think. No, I don't think I did. Oh, okay. He hangs around in Parliament till he's, what, I think, yeah, maybe like late 80s. And and this is in like when life expectancy was in the seventies, and he's in par- kicking around in Parliament. He I think he like dies in his early nineties, so he's a real you know um, goes till the very end. Mm. So Billy Hughes replaces Robert Menzies as the leader of the United Australia Party. So he's opposition leader. What's Billy Hughes's uh, perspective on conscription? Oh, he's pro, isn't he? He's Very pro conscription. So what he does is he actually he puts a lot of pressure on John Curtin to introduce conscription. Curtin's like, okay, I'm not a fan of conscription all across the world. I don't want to. Con- I don't want to conscript soldiers to go and fight over in France. I don't want to do that. But I, I am in favour of it because unlike World War One, this is a war of self-defence. And I will have conscript soldiers in the South Pacific. And eventually he reaches a compromise where conscript soldiers no longer just have to be contained within Australian territories. And that includes Papua New Guinea because that's an Australian territory at that point. Instead, conscript soldiers can effectively fight just about all over the South Pacific. 
And the issue is, is that for the non-conscript forces, they look down on the conscript forces. They call them chocos. Basically, people that are not like they, they don't have the same level of bravery. When the going gets tough, they won't be able to do it because they haven't chosen to be there. That's the kind of perspective across all the other soldiers. Wait, so who's looking down on who? The the non-conscript forces look down on the conscript forces because they didn't choose to be there. Oh, right. Yeah. Gotcha. 